If it's all right with you, I'd like to share a quick story. It goes a little something like this. There once was a sailor who, after enduring some particularly rough seas, found himself stranded on a desert island. Immediately upon washing to shore, a sense of helplessness fell over him. He was hopelessly alone. So right there on the beach, he fell to his knees and began to pray. He begged God for a way off of the island, pleading that he send a boat, a plane, something or someone who could come to his rescue. Only no one ever came. Instead, the sailor spent months stranded on that very beach. He even eventually built a shelter that he filled with supplies from around the island. It wasn't much, but in time the sailor became comfortable with his new lot in life. Well, that is, until one day, when he returned to his camp to find the shelter engulfed in flames. Once again, he fell to his knees. Only this time, he cursed his god, asking how he could let such a tragedy happen after everything the sailor had already endured. The sailor spent that night laying restlessly on the cold, wet sand. But by morning, something miraculous happened. There on the horizon was a rather large sailboat forging full speed ahead towards his small desert island. When the vessel dropped anchor, the sailor swam out into the waters to greet them, and when he finally climbed aboard, he asked his rescuers how they had found him. Their answer, of course, was simple. The crew saw a tower of smoke on the horizon and knew that someone was likely in distress. Yes, thanks to his so-called tragedy, the sailor was rescued at long last. This anecdote is a rather long-winded way of saying that things aren't always as they seem, that more often than not, there is something larger working away in the background of our everyday lives. Sure, on the surface, our circumstances could seem dark and gloomy, but in the end those appearances turn out to be nothing more than an illusion. The only question is, are these illusions purely an act of man, or could they be the result of something more? I'm Courtney Hayes, and you're listening to Haunts. Stay tuned. There aren't many of us who don't know the name Harry Houdini. Sometimes going by more exuberant titles, like Harry Handcuff Houdini, or the King of Cuffs. The world knew Harry as an illusionist, escapologist, and entertainer. However, it wasn't until recently that I discovered the renowned Harry Houdini was also a spiritualist, just not in the way that you might think. You see, Houdini's rapid success just so happened to coincide with the rise of spiritualism, a practice that Houdini felt was closely related to that of an illusionist. Now, we have discussed the spiritualism movement in detail in my episodes covering spirit photography in the history of the Ouija board, both of which I will have linked in today's show notes, just in case you missed them. But for now, I think the following definition is worth considering. Spiritualism is a belief system in religious practice based on the notion that we can commune with the dead. This feat is primarily accomplished through the intervention of a trained medium, who will presumably enter into some sort of trance, 
channel a spirit, and supposedly interact with the great beyond. Now it should come at no surprise that the legitimacy of mediumship is still widely debated, just as it was back in the 1890s when the spiritualism movement was at its height. Yes, even back in those days, it was often argued that seances, channeling, and the like was nothing more than smoke and mirrors, just another illusion, or at least that's what Houdini claimed. But before he came to this skeptical conclusion, before even he became the skilled illusionist that we know today, Harry Houdini was simply just another boy with a dream. Little Eric Wise was born in Budapest in the year 1874. His parents, Mayer and Cecilia, weren't particularly wealthy, but they were determined to give their children a better life. Which is exactly why the family immigrated to Appleton, Wisconsin in 1878. The family settled into a home on Appleton Street, and his father promptly took up work as the local rabbi. Now, even in spite of his modest upbringing, Eric was, by most accounts, a happy child. He had a close-knit group of friends, and together they found all sorts of ways to entertain themselves and their neighbors. For instance, when Eric was nine, the group formed a five-cent circus, with Eric playing the role of trapeze artist. Outside of this group of friends, Eric was especially close with his mother Cecilia, who, almost assuredly, saw the spark of a performer in her son. Although even she couldn't have known who young Eric was destined to be. Eric's relationship with his father, on the other hand, was slightly more complicated. Of course, there was love shared between the boy and his father, but Eric was just one of six children, and as a sign of the times, Mara Wise was the sole breadwinner for this sizable family. Now remember, the Weiss family was not wealthy by any means, even in spite of Mare's educational background and work history. So eventually, the man was forced to enlist the help of his three sons in order to make ends meet. From a very young age, Eric Weiss picked up odd jobs whenever he could. Throughout his young life, Eric was everything, from a shoe shiner to a paperboy to General Aaron Runner. He even eventually found work, apprenticing for a local locksmith. And it was this profession that ultimately made young Eric an expert in the way of lockpicking. Now I should mention, Eric was not opposed to helping his father provide for their family. Quite the opposite, actually. In fact, as Eric got older, his dedication to his family proved to be what I can only describe as divine intervention. Because as we all know by now, young Eric had a passion for performance. And when his father left Appleton in search of more prosperous work opportunities, it was this very passion and the love that he had for his family that inspired Eric to do the same. So at just 12 years old, Eric slipped out of his parents' house on Appleton Street and followed his dreams to the Big Apple.
It was the year 1894, when Eric Wise gave up his name. He had spent the better half of the last decade, picking up odd jobs around the city of New York, while moonlighting as a trapeze artist in vaudeville shows. However, by the time he was 20, Eric decided to place his focus on something a bit more theatrical. Harry Houdini is the stage name Eric coined when he first took up work as an illusionist. And although Houdini is a household name by today's standards, at the time, well, Harry was pretty much a nobody. But even so, he was nothing if not resourceful. And beyond that, Harry Houdini understood the importance in taking advantage of trending topics. You see, it was around this time that he met his wife, Bess. And by the time they were married, the couple began traveling around the globe, performing magic as spiritualists. Yes, you heard that right. At the start of his career, Harry Houdini incorporated mediumship into his act as an illusionist. Now I should mention that I'm not entirely sure if Houdini truly believed in his abilities as a medium at the time, or if he was simply trying to capitalize on the growing popularity of the spiritualism movement. But either way, Houdini's act at this point in his career was, well, frightening. According to one source, at least, Harry would channel spirits throughout each of his shows. These spirits would supposedly enter his body, which would then contort in ways that shouldn't have been humanly possible. Apparently, Harry's showmanship was so disturbing in these moments that members of his audience would often run from the theater in horror, which of course only added to the dramatic effect. Now, from what I could tell, these rather spooky performances didn't remain in Harry's act for long. And really, they didn't need to. Because as it turned out, mediumship wasn't exactly Harry Houdini's specialty. No, instead, Houdini had a rather special gift when it came to picking locks. So when he was ultimately discovered by stage manager Martin Beck, he was urged to start a career as an escape artist. And as I'm sure you already guessed, it was this advice that pushed Harry Houdini into the mainstream. But even in the middle of his whirlwind success, the topics of spiritualism and mediumship stayed at the forefront of Harry Houdini's mind. This became especially true when his beloved mother passed away in the summer of 1913, leaving Harry devastated yet determined to contact Cecilia on the other side. Upon receiving news that Cecilia Wise had passed away, Harry Houdini uttered the following words, quote, If God in his greatness ever sent an angel on earth in human form, it was my mother, end quote. His words were of course heartfelt, but I can't be the only one who found them to be a bit creepy. I mean, let's face it, if I were to tell you that that was a direct quote from Norman Bates, you'd probably believe me. But suffice to say, Harry Houdini held an absolute adoration for his mother, so it comes at no surprise that he spent the first several years following Cecilia's death trying to contact her from beyond the grave. Being that her death fell in line with the height of the spiritualism movement, Harry spent years attending countless seances in an attempt to contact his late mother, 
only these sessions never seemed to work. A fact that was troubling and downright offensive to Harry, who missed his mother more than he could bear. Now, according to a handful of my sources, this lack of success in contacting Cecilia's spirit turned Harry Houdini into a bitter skeptic, who begrudgingly renounced spiritualism and its practitioners. But while I'm sure he was disappointed by his lackluster results, I can't say that I buy into his staunch skepticism. You see, one of Harry's closest friends and confidants is none other than Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh while simultaneously chipping away at the creation of his beloved character Sherlock Holmes. And as I'm sure you may have already guessed, Arthur Conan Doyle was an avid spiritualist. Now I should mention that Harry Houdini did, in fact, lead a bit of a crusade against the many fraudulent mediums of the era. But I will say, it does seem like he did so with an open mind. More on that during next week's episode. But in the meantime, I think this is worth considering. Together, Arthur and Harry wrote their own book on spiritualism that they entitled A Magician Among the Spirits. This book was more or less an exploration of the spiritualism movement that they wrote with the intention to unveil the secrets of the spirit realm. As always, I will have a copy of A Magician Among the Spirits linked in today's show notes. And if you're interested in learning more about their theories and arguments, I encourage you to give this book a read. But for now, I will leave you with this question to consider. Do all of these investigative efforts truly sound like the work of a bitter old skeptic? As the time passed, Harry Houdini continued his research into spiritualism, mediumship, and the paranormal as a whole. In fact, he was somewhat of a pioneer when it comes to the field of paranormal research. He attended hundreds of seances around the world in an effort to expose the truthful as well as the fraudulent. And although many historians would likely argue otherwise, it seems as though he never once gave up hope that he might make contact with his mother. In 1922, for instance, Harry attended a seance with none other than Lady Doyle, who, like her husband, was an avid spiritualist as well as a trained psychic medium with a specialty in automatic writing. As a quick aside here, the topic of automatic writing could likely be an episode in and of itself. So if that's something you're interested in, let me know and I can look more into it. But for now, I think this simple definition will suffice. Automatic writing is the alleged psychic ability where a medium can channel a spirit and scribe a written message on their behalf. I know, sounds intriguing, right? Well, the Doyles certainly thought so, which is exactly why Lady Doyle used her abilities to contact Cecilia Wise. Or so she claimed, but Harry, on the other hand, wasn't entirely convinced. And although this was the wife of one of his closest friends, Harry wasn't shy about a skepticism, which ultimately created a rift 
between him and Arthur. Now, it's worth mentioning that Lady Doyle wasn't the only self-proclaimed medium who Harry Houdini was skeptical of. For example, in 1924, Harry accused the celebrated Boston medium, Mina Marjorie Crandon, of being a fraud, an accusation that ultimately led to a two-year-long feud between two of the hottest celebrities of the era. Oh, and to add fuel to that fire, in 1926, Harry went as far as to testify in front of Senate and House subcommittees for a bill aiming to prosecute anyone fraudulently posing as a spirit medium. So I guess maybe he was, understandably, a bit bitter. But be that as it may, Harry was never able to prove or disprove the existence of the spirit realm, at least not to the entire world. But sadly, in the fall of that year, Harry Houdini finally got that answer for himself. October 31, 1926, was a fitting day for Harry Houdini to finally reunite with his mother, although it wasn't exactly a joyous occasion. You see, in the days prior, Harry had unknowingly been suffering with appendicitis, and without immediate treatment, well, there wasn't much hope for saving this renowned magician. So, it was on All Hallows' Eve when Harry Houdini left the world of the living and slipped through that thin veil to the other side. It was surely a solemn day for illusionist and spiritualist alike. But don't get me wrong, this is only the beginning of our story. Because even though the King of Cuffs had left this earthly realm, Harry Houdini's investigation of the spiritualism movement was far from over. But that, dear listeners, is a story for next time. This episode of Haunts was written and produced by me, Courtney Hayes. If you've been enjoying the show so far, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. A lot of work goes into each episode, and supporting the show in this way really helps us reach more listeners each week. It's entirely free and takes about 30 seconds, and it would genuinely mean the world to me. Also, if you're interested in learning more about today's topic... I greatly encourage you to check out the show notes section on our website at hauntscast.com. This is the location where I share my sources and provide any visual aid that may be referenced during the show. Finally, I would love to connect with you online. You can find me on Instagram at hauntscast, or you can join our email list for updates about the show. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, happy haunting.